You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, we are to Philippians chapter three, the first 11 verses. This is one of my favorite texts in the scriptures. And I wanna preface this morning and how I'm about to try to go at uh, unpacking it and preaching it because it's different, uh, it's different from how I would normally do it. Um, normally, we would preach verse by verse through a passage like this. So we would just start in verse one and start preaching down through it. Um, and you might think of it in terms of like, if, if you know, this passage is a forest, normally we're gonna get into the forest and we're just gonna go line by line through the trees and looking at the trees in this particular passage. Um, but we preached through this passage before doing that. Um, so I wanna take a different approach today and I wanna actually step out of the forest and to try to give us a sense of what the forest looks like that this passage is addressing. So I want to take the main theme of the passage, that the primary thing that Paul's talking about, and I want to try to work that out with you this morning. And if you want to see the theme, the, probably the easiest place to pick up on it and to get a clear sense of what it is that Paul's trying to do is in verse 9. So just look at verse 9 with me really briefly. Let me just introduce the word or the set of phrases I want you to pay attention to, and then I want to spend a few minutes trying to make sense of that. So verse 9 uh, Paul says this, not having a righteousness of my own. You, you might underline those four words, righteousness of my own. Th- those four words, a righteousness of my own. Then, uh, and then he says that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in, G- in Christ, the righteousness from God. Underline those four words, the righteousness from God. Uh, that depends on faith. Now, those two, those, those two phrases, th- those eight words, on one side, righteousness of my own. On the other side, the righteousness from God. That is the theme of this passage. This is the thing that Paul's addressing. Where are you getting your righteousness from? Is it on your own or is it from God? Th- th- that's the theme that he's going after. Now, I wanna just try to lift up this word righteousness or its twin sister in the Bible, justification, I wanna to try to list, uh, lift up these two words, this righteousness idea, justification, and try to make sense of it. And we're gonna to have to do a lot of prep work because these things are not intuitive necessarily. They're, they're kind of hard to see. So we're gonna to have to do a lot of, of working together here. And I'm gonna to try to work out these words. And then we're gonna get into Philippians chapter three. And I wanna show you what Paul's trying to do with, with those two, you know, th- these ideas, righteousness or justification. So with that said, let me just take a step back and make a couple of comments about the idea of righteousness in the Bible, the idea of justification in the Bible, like how these words are playing themselves out. Every human heart that's ever existed, so this is you, this is me, this is the whole lot of human beings. In every human heart, there is a deep ache to be righteous or to use the other word, to be justified. That exists in every human heart, right? It, it's, in, it's in us all. Um, the idea of justification to be righteous means that, uh, that you could be fully known down into the depths of your soul, down into like the dirty depths of your soul, because we're all kind of in the lot of sinners too, right? That, that we could be fully known. And at the same time, we would be fully accepted by God, fully loved. So, so fully known and fully loved and fully accepted and fully approved. That desire exists in every human heart to be justified or to be righteous. And those words justified or righteous are tapping into that desire to be fully known and at the same time fully approved and accepted and loved. Now it's interesting because when people read the Bible, we're all doing that with a lot of assumptions. And one assumption that a lot of people have when you read the Bible 
is that the Bible is, is kind of ir- irrelevant. It's just not, it's not very practical to the, my everyday life. It's like written a few thousand years ago. It's kind of a back then book, but it's just, it's not really hitting the felt needs of my life like when I wake up on a Monday morning. And, and this is a perfect case in point. You, we come across a word like this, um, justification, or this word in verse nine, righteousness. And we instantly think, man, the Bible, it's so old. It's so archaic. I don't care about righteousness. I don't care about justification. I don't care about these things. The only problem with that is you actually do. We all care about those things. The Bible is, is, is speaking into a concern that we all carry with us. Now, you may not, you may not know that intuitively. You may not see that intuitively. It, it is speaking on the deepest sort of levels of your soul and of your heart what you're concerned about, what, what you're waking up with. The Bible concerns itself with the very things that you concern yourself with. And, and this word righteousness is, 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 and justification are tapping into that. Now, those words, righteous, righteousness, justification, they're, they're probably not words that you use in your everyday vocabulary, but they affect your everyday life. Every day of your life is affected by the word righteousness and the word justification. That this desire to be fully known and fully approved, accepted, and loved. Every day is affected by that. You're going to take justification questions, righteousness questions. You're going to take those into work with you tomorrow morning. Like you're going to get there and these questions are going to be churning under the surface of your life. You're going to take them into your family. You're going to take them into your group of friends. You brought these questions with you this morning. Justification questions, righteousness questions, they are universal questions. Every human being in all times are asking these sort of questions, right? We all have this longing to be righteous or to be justified. Let me give you examples of what these questions are and what they sound like. They sound like this. Am I really okay? Like, am I, like, am I, am I okay? Like, when I'm looking at my life, do, am I good enough? Do I measure up? When people look at me and when people get to know me, what are they gonna think of me? What's gonna happen if people do that? Those are all justification questions. Those are righteousness questions. They're tapping into and poking on that deep sense of inadequacy, the insecurities, the lack of presentability that that we all feel. This is what those, those things are stirring up and, and coming out of. Now, behind those sort of questions, am I okay, do I measure up, are the big mega questions. What does God think of me? Like when, when God looks all the way into the darkness of my heart, into my anger, lust, impatience, hatred, greed, my addictions, what, what is God gonna do with me? What is he gonna think about me? Like when, when God, he, I know he fully knows me, And in in light of him fully knowing me and all the things I've done and left undone, what what does God think of me? Those are all justification righteousness-oriented questions. That's, that's where they're bubbling up out of because your soul and my soul, every human soul longs for righteousness. We long to be justified, known and fully loved. Every human heart is dealing with that. Now, the reason that we long for it is because we were made for it. This is the way God made us. 
It's the way he made you to want to be justified, to want to be righteous, to want to be fully known and at the same time fully loved. Now, one of the things that I appreciate most about the Bible is I don't think there's any book that's ever been that explains the human condition as well as the Bible explains it. To, to make sense of, of your experience and my experience. And this is also true of this idea that the, the, these justification questions that, that we're all dealing with, that, that longing for righteousness, that longing to be fully known and at the same time fully loved. The Bible explains where this comes from. In Genesis 1 and 2, let me just work through this, the story of Genesis 1 through 3 and show you how the Bible makes sense of this. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen as I kind of give the Cliff Notes version of it. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see a picture of a good God creating all things. And on the sixth day, he creates our first parents, Adam and Eve, and he puts them in a beautiful garden, gives them everything they need for life and happiness and, and joy in him. And in that moment in Genesis 1 and 2, it's really a remarkable thing. They are living under the approval of God. They are fully known by God, like God knows every part of them. And at the same time, God is looking at them after fully knowing them and he fully loves them and accepts them. They are delighted in by God. It, maybe you could say it this way. They were righteous before him in Genesis 1 and 2. They were justified before him. They were fully known and at the same time, fully justified. They were examined down into the depths of their soul. And after being examined, the most influential voice in the universe, God's voice, pronounced over them the, the verdict of approved, accepted, loved. And God has hardwired the human heart to hear that from the most influential voice in the universe. Accepted, approved, loved, fully known and, and fully loved. But then you get to Genesis chapter three. And in Genesis chapter three, our first parents rebelled against God by eating the forbidden fruit. And with that first sin, the Bible says that they felt something that they have never felt before. If you, if you remember reading Genesis three, here's what happens. After eating that forbidden fruit, after they sinned and rebelled against God, they felt naked and exposed. Do you remember that in Genesis three? For the first time that they, they knew something was wrong, all was not right. That the sort of presentability that they felt in Genesis 1 and 2, in Genesis 3, that presentability was lost. They, they no longer feel presentable. They, they feel a lack of presentability. That they knew that they were no longer okay. Because of their rebellion, the verdict written over their life by God had changed from accepted to rejected that the most influential voice in their life had been altered in that moment. And do you remember what happened as soon as they felt naked? Do you remember what happens in Genesis chapter three? That the moment they, they felt for the first time, I am inadequate, I don't measure up, I am now mega insecure. Do you remember what they did? In Genesis three, chapter seven, it says that they looked around and they tried to find some sense of a covering. So apart from God, they looked around and thought, fig leaves, there it is. And they start to patch up and sew together fig leaves for, for new clothing, to, to patch up a presentability in their life. Now let's follow the logic of Genesis one through three. Let me just say this as clearly as I can. Our first parents longed for presentability, to, to be righteous before God, to be justified before God. And they longed for that because they were made for it. This is how God created them and us. But because of their sin, what they longed for was lost. That's Genesis 3. And when they lost it, they immediately began the work 
They, 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 they got to, they looked around and they got to work patching up a new presentability. This is, this is how they responded to their nakedness. It's how they, they responded to that insecurity that they felt, that inadequacy that they felt. Now, in the same way, that little Genesis 3 episode does a great job of explaining what is driving so much of your life, of my life, of human beings' lives. It's describing so much of, of what's churning underneath the surface. Just like our first parents, we feel this sin-created nakedness. I mean, if, if we're honest in the room, we all want to be fully known by people. But here, here's the other side of the coin for that. We are terrified for that to actually happen. Because we know that if people could get and kind of see all the way down into the dirty depths of our soul, what they're going to find there is going to be terrifying for them. What they're going to find there is going to be really uncomfortable. We all know that deep down in our soul, there's way more shadows and way less substance. We all have that inner sense of that. And this is our problem. So we, we look around, we feel this, inade this inadequacy. And then just like our, our first parents, we begin the work of patching up representability. We, we wanna be known and then fully accepted, but we're terrified of that. So what we do is we say, well, let me present a better form of me. Let, let, me, let me present to people a better sense of me. Let me project this to them. It's patching up this presentability. It, it, the human story is just like our first parents. We, we've lost our sense of presentability and we're on the quest just like them of regaining it, of patching together a new sense of presentability. Now, if you wanna get some proof of this, if you wanna just see how this plays out, just become a parent for a while. That's all you need to do. It is, this, is, this is absolutely amazing to see if you're a parent or you deal with little kids, like two-year-old little kids, like three-year-olds and four-year-olds, they begin to ask justification questions. It's amazing. I, nobody taught them to ask those questions. No one like gave them a lesson and said, here are the questions I want you to start asking about your life. But at like two and three and four year old, they start to do these things. So we have a whole brood of young kids in our house. They range right now from three to 10. And I'm amazed at the just incessant justification, righteousness oriented questions that they're asking. Let me give you an example of that. Um, it's not an uncommon thing for Caleb to want to race. So we'll mark out a little, you know, a, a track and uh, we'll set up the timer and we'll let him go at it. And you know what happens at the end of every race? Every moment, he'll do his thing and then he's gonna look for the most influential voice around him. Right now in, in his life, it's me. In that moment, he's looking at my voice and you know what he says right after he finishes? Dad, didn't I do awesome? Dad, aren't I fast? Now, what is that? That is, that is a human heart when they're three, four, and five year, years old, working out justification and righteousness-oriented questions. Dad, you know me, and I'm okay, right? I measure up, right? Those are justification questions. Um, it's so interesting. We have a bunch of girls in our home, and it's not uncommon for some of our girls to, I mean, they just want to be in nice dresses, and so it's like an everyday occurrence where they're gonna say, dad, can I put a dress on? And they're gonna go get a dress and then they're gonna come out into our living room and put on some music and kind of do their thing. And do you know what happens at the end of every one of those moments 
when the music stops and they finish, that they look at either Laura or I and they, they ask a justification question. Dad, aren't I beautiful? D- didn't I dance great? Now, what is that? that are, those are justification questions. That deep sense of inadequacy that they're already beginning to feel at two and three and four and five years old. It's that deep sense of inadequacy, that deep sense of nakedness beginning to work itself out into questions. Like, Dad, assure me that I'm really okay. Assure me that I really measure up. Assure me that I can be known and at the same time approved and accepted and loved. Now, all of those little questions that they're asking, those are all those surface rumblings of those, that deep ache for righteousness of, of justification. Now, here's the amazing thing. Those justification questions don't just go away when you get older. As adults, you get a little more sophisticated in how you ask them, right? We don't typically walk up to someone and say, hey, I'm all right, right? I'm awesome, right? That's typically not the way they come out. They come out in more sophisticated ways, but those justification questions that start really early in life, they hang with us throughout our life. Let me give you an illustration of this. How many of y'all have watched the movie uh, Chariots of Fire? This is one of my favorite illustrations to just illustrate this idea. The movie is about a guy named Eric Little. And if you know the story, he's an Olympic sprinter and he walks away from really fame and glory to become a missionary in China. But his kind of chief competitor was another sprinter. His name was Harold Abrams. And if you remember in the moment, there's this scene before Harold Abrams is about to walk out on the track and run um, a sprint, a hundred meter, you know, sprint for an Olympic gold medal. And it's about an hour beforehand. And he's got a confidant, this kind of trainer guy there beside him. And in that moment, this is what he says. He says, I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what I'm chasing. And now in one hour's time, I will be out there on the track again. I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor, right? So he's on the track and he's looking down the lane. I'm gonna look down that corridor, four feet wide. And then listen to the last phrase here. With 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. Now, what is that moment? That is the same question that a four-year-old asks coming out in the heart of a grown man, coming out in Harold Abrams' life. He's looking at his life and he's saying, I need something to convince me that I measure up. I've got to figure out some way to regain some presentability in my life. I've got to have something that's going to make me okay to to cover and to deal with this deep sense of inadequacy. I've got to have something in my life. So he begins to survey the options. What in my life am I going to use to patch up that presentability? And he decides I'm going to use that race on that track to do it. That race on that track is how I'm gonna patch up my presentability. How fast I can run down that track is what's gonna give me a sense of I'm okay. Now, just like that that five-year-old boy is asking the question, dad, I'm awesome, right? Harold Abrams as a grown man is asking the world in this moment after he races, what world? Say, I'm okay, right? It's that same justification question coming out in the heart of of an adult human being. Now, you may not be looking at a track for your righteousness. You may not be looking at a hundred meter race. Some of us, it would go really bad for us if we were, right? But you are looking to something in your life for it. Now, just, I want you to wrestle with that for a moment. 
every human being in here is looking to something for your presentability to make you have a sense of, you know that deep inadequacy I feel? I'm really okay, right? Like, look at that. See, I, see I'm doing that. I, I, I'm, I'm getting that, that done. See, I'm okay, right? What world? I'm all right, right? We're all looking at something for that. A human being cannot live without looking at something and saying, you, whatever you are, you're going to be the way that I regain my presentability. You can't live without it. It's impossible because this is the way God has made you to, to need that and to long for that. You, a human being cannot live without that. Now, I don't know what it is that you're looking to in your life to make you say about yourself, I'm all right. I'm okay. I, I think I measure up right now. But you're looking at something. Maybe it's work for you. That's a really common one in our culture. Like, do you see how well I, I can do this? And by how well we do that, we begin to patch up our presentability. Uh, maybe it's... Uh, Maybe it's accomplishment. Do you see what all I've accomplished? And when you run down your Rolodex of your accomplishments, it's satisfying, it's, 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 it's covering, it's tamping down that inadequacy that you feel. It's your attempt to regain your presentability. For others, it's money. When we don't have it, we feel like all, we're just despairing. We don't feel like we, but when we do, then, then we feel like, oh, now I can breathe, now I'm okay. For others, it's possessions. It's all the things that we've accumulated in our life. That's what we're basing our righteousness, our presentability on. For some, it's winning. Like we need to be right in this moment because you know deep down in here that we're really wrong. But when I win right here, it covers up the wrong that I feel down there. For some, it's winning. For others, it's parenting. It's another really common one in our culture. Do you see how well my kids have turned out? This is how it's what we're basing our righteousness, that, that deep sense of inadequacy we're covering with our parenting, with our kids. Um, for others, it's that sort of cutthroat competitiveness. I mean, there's just, there's as many ways of doing this as there are human beings because we're all doing it. We're all trying to patch together a sense of righteousness by something, by what we know, by what we, I mean, we're all doing it some way. We can't live without that. And all of those ways, all of those things that we're doing, I'm gonna work for it, I'm gonna accomplish for it. All of those are, are the surface rumblings of that deep ache for justification, to be righteous, to be fully known and at the same time fully loved. So there's this deep ache in the heart of every human being to be righteous, to be presentable. You long for it because you were made for it. But there's no amount of money, of fame or accomplishment that will ever ease the ache. To show this, uh, let me just quote from the great theologian, <clears throat> Madonna. And uh, listen to what she says. She's pretty much accomplished it all, right? I doubt you're gonna ever have as much money as she does. Probably not. You're probably not gonna have as much as she does. You're not gonna be as famous as she is, right? Listen to what she says. I have an iron will and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. Now, do you know what I appreciate about her? She's an adult and she admits that. Because you feel that. We all feel that. Deep down in our soul, we feel a lack of presentability. We feel an inadequacy. We feel like we don't know if we measure up. We're insecure. Like, and she just admits it. All of my life has been to cover and conquer this horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself 
as a special human being, and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And it happens again and again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. You see, she's, I mean, she's just admitting it. I love that about her. She has the, the courage to do that. <clears throat> she's looking at her life and she's just saying, I feel so insecure, so inadequate, and I am working my tail off to try to cover that, to try to ease that ache in me, to try to patch up some presentability in my life. She says, and, and she goes on, and that's always, that sense of being mediocre, that feeling of inadequacy, that's always pushing me and pushing me. This is human life. We can't live without something that we're patching together for our righteousness. It's always pushing me and pushing me because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. Now she is taught, what, what is that right there? Those are all the surface rumblings of the deep longing and ache that we all have to be righteous, to be justified. That is how re relevant the Bible is to your life and my life and Madonna's life. It's addressing that fundamental ache and need that's in us all. Now comes Philippians 3. The question that we all have to deal with in our life is, where in the world are we going to go to have that ache eased? To have that longing satisfied? Where are we gonna go for that? And the Bible gives us two options. There's only two options. These are the only two options that exist. And, and Philippians 3 shows us the two options. Option number one is this. We work for it. You might be thinking of it this way. We go and we work to achieve our righteousness. It's righteousness achieved. And you see that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. It's going to be a righteousness of our own, right? It's that righteousness. A righteousness that we're going to go make for ourselves. We're going to accomplish for it. We're going to do for it. We're going to get about the work, just like our first parents, of patching up this sense of presentability. We might call this self-righteousness or self-justification. It's answering all those justification questions just like our first parents answered them. Where are some fig leaves for me to sew together to make me feel more presentable? I've got to get about the work of this. I've got to go achieve I've got to go achieve my righteousness. Now, as an aside, this is the default way that we, we deal with these questions. This is the way that you, by nature, are going to go about this. I'm going to work to achieve it. I'm going to go do some things to make me feel better about the inadequacy that I feel deep inside. This is the way that we go about it. Now, there's two ways that we work to achieve it. Two ways. One is a secular way. This is one way that we patch up our own righteousness. Philippians 3.9. It's a secular way. This way intentionally leaves God out of our work to cover up that deep sense of, of unpresentability. Madonna is your example of that. She's, she is overtly away from God in these moments, right? But she is doing this. She's patching up her righteousness. She's trying to achieve for it. She's trying to do for it. She'll break the rules for it. She'll, she'll whatever. She's going to make music for it. She's going to make money for it. She's going to spin. She's going to shock the world for it. But it's all in an overt, God is not part of my life as I'm trying to patch up this presentability. 
If you want an example of this in the Bible, think the parable of the prodigal son and uh, think the younger brother in Luke 15. He's the one that removes himself from his dad's household, pictured as God. He removes himself from his dad's household and he goes to the far country and squanders everything. He's gonna break all the rules in an effort to patch up his presentability. So there's a secular way of doing it. But, and this is what Philippians 3 is getting at, there's also a religious way of patching up our own presentability. And and the religious way is different. This is a way of intentionally inviting God into our work to cover up the deep sense of unpresentability. In Luke 15, parable of the prodigal son, think the older brother. He stays with his dad, God in the story. He stays with his dad. He's near his dad. He's following all the rules of his dad, right? He's patching up his presentability, not by breaking the rules, but by following all the rules. Now, and this is what Paul is addressing in Philippians 3. He's addressing people who are trying to to patch up their presentability in a religious kind of disguise. They're they're good people. They're following all the rules that God would have them follow, but they're doing it for all of the wrong reasons. You you see it in verse two. Paul says, look out for the dogs, for, for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, who is he talking about? He's talking about the Judaizers, right? They're the people that Paul address, addresses like an equally harsh words in the book of Galatians. And the Judaizers, here's their theology in a nutshell. It's if you're gonna be righteous, here's what you need. If you're gonna be presentable, here's what you need. You need some Jesus, okay, we'll admit that. But with Jesus, you also need your own work. You need Jesus's work and you need your work. You're gonna have to be really Jewish and you're gonna have to follow a lot of the Jewish laws if you ever wanna regain your presentability. And, and Paul here is saying, No to that. That is not a way to patch up your righteousness. You can't do it in that way. But you also see it uh, coming down in uh, verses three and four. Paul talks about having a confidence in the flesh. Here's what he means by confidence in the flesh. That phrase equals depending on your own work, your work to achieve your righteousness. That's what depending on the flesh is in Philippians 3. He's saying, it's just shorthand for, you're working for your righteousness and you're doing that in a very religious way. You're following all the rules. You're doing the right things. Even the things that God would say do, you're doing all of those, but for all the wrong reasons. You're doing that so you can depend on that for your presentability. Or you see it again in verse nine. He says, it's a righteousness of my own. But then he puts this phrase onto the back. You can, you can gain a righteousness of your own in a secular way, but Paul is in particular addressing the religious way. It's a righteousness of my own that comes from the law by keeping the law, by doing the right things. Now, Paul then in verses five and six gives a resume of righteousness. He says, let me illustrate for you what my life was built around, how I was trying to solve the ache in me. Here's how I did it. Verses five and six, here was his resume for righteousness. Here's how he was tamping down that sense of inadequacy by reminding himself of this. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I wasn't like a Jewish convert. I was Jewish from the beginning. Like I'm the real deal, he's saying. Uh, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was one of the two tribes that was faithful to the house of David. In other words, he's saying, my people, me, me who I'm a part of, they were the racially pure people. Right, I mean, we were, we were the pure people following after God. Like, like I'm in that tribe. And, and then he goes on, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's like, a lot of people, they have like a veneer of Jewishness about them. He's like, not me. You, you take the veneer off and what you find down on the substrate level is still Jewishness. I am the real thing. He's saying, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then he gives what he has achieved. He says, as to the law of Pharisee, 
Like I know the law. I've got the education. I've studied this thing. I am all about it. A Pharisee. As to zeal, as to my life, my, my hunger for the things of God. I've been a persecutor of the church. You don't get any more zealous for the things of God than I do, Paul's saying. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's saying, man, I have kept the religious set of requirements. I have worked hard at this. I am doing this thing. Paul's saying, this is my resume of righteousness. And he's saying it was all so that I could patch up my presentability. It was all so that I could gain my own righteousness through my own hard work. Now, can we just linger over that for a moment? Have you ever stopped to think about all the Christian-y things that you're doing? I'm just praying God would give us eyes to see this today about all the Christian-y things that you're doing, like you're reading the Bible, you're praying, you're fasting, you're, you're even like things like preaching and, and evangelism and parenting in a way that you're trying to bring your kids up to know the Lord and you're serving, you're doing all these Christian-y things that the Bible is like, that's other good things. Yes, do, do those things. But have you ever stopped to think that you might be doing all of those things for the, all the wrong reasons? Have you ever stopped to think that it's, that it's, that it's possible that you're doing all of those things in such a way where you're actually having to avoid Jesus as your savior so that you can be your own savior, so that you can patch up your own presentability, so that the way that you'll settle that deep sense of inadequacy and insecurity in you is to say, look at what I've done. God, you're gonna actually be really happy that I'm on your team. Do you see how good you have it, God? You've got me with this resume. I mean, you're a lucky God to have me, right? Hey, have you ever thought that that could be going on in you? Let me give you an illustration of this. This is a guy named David Brainerd. He was a missionary to Native Americans in the 1700s, a missionary. Like this dude is giving up his life to get the gospel to a group of people who don't know it, right? He's a missionary and he dies in his 20s in the home of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards then gets his uh, journal entries puts those into a book and publishes it. And it becomes an instant sort of Christian classic. And this is one of his journal entries. He's talking about his conversion. Now listen, to, this guy's a missionary and he gets saved. Now listen to, to him work this out. He says it like this. When I was about 20 years of age, I was engaged more than ever in the duties of religion. I was doing all the right things. Like I was following the, the rules. I was doing these things for God. I even thought I must be very seriously religious because I considered entering the ministry. I am so zealous that I'm gonna be a missionary, he's saying. I had a very good outside doing all the rules and trusted entirely in my religious duties. Saying I was doing it all. My resume was long of things I'm doing for God. And that's exactly what I was trusting in, my resume that I'm doing. He goes on to say, I thought that through my repenting, he's, like, he's repenting before God. Now listen to what he says. I thought that through my repenting, good thing, through my praising Jesus, good thing, through my seeking of Jesus, I could make good steps toward heaven. Things like repenting, things like praising God, things like seeking God, all being used by David Brainerd to patch up his own righteousness apart from Jesus. To, to bring his resume before God to say, God, do you see how good I've been? I'm not just okay, God, I'm really okay. That this is what he's doing. He goes on to say, 
I told myself, God must accept you because look at how wholeheartedly you serve and seek him. But the more I tried to love God with all of my soul, the more I saw how little I really loved him. One night, I remember in particular, when I was walking alone, I saw it was totally impossible for me to answer the demands of God's law and do anything toward delivering myself. I realized that all my struggling to become worthy was an exercise in self-worship. He's saying all of these religious things that I'm doing, they're not for God, they're for me. They're they're for me to patch up my presentability, to build my resume so that when I stand before God, I can beat my chest and tell God how good I've been. It was an exercise in self-worship. I was not worshiping God, I was using God. Then at that time, the true way of salvation opened to my mind, not by my own work, not by the things that I was doing. That's not how I'm gonna be saved and made right with God or to be righteous, but entirely by the righteousness of Jesus. I felt myself in a new world. Everything about me appeared with a different aspect from before. And I just wonder how many of us like David Brainerd need to realize all the good things we're doing, the religious things, like all the things we're doing that even the Bible would say do, we're actually doing to patch up our presentability, to try to ease that inner ache of I'm not okay, I know I'm not okay, but if I do this, I feel okay. I just wonder how many of us are doing that. And and Paul's point in Philippians 3 is to say, stop doing that. It's never going to work. The the more you do that, the more when you kind of deal with that inner ache, it's gonna start screaming at you. But Paul's point is to say, you cannot patch up your righteousness by what you achieve. You cannot do it. It's futile. It's absolutely futile. It's it's pointless to try to do that. It's a bad idea. It doesn't work. To go back to some Greek mythology, it's like Sisyphus. He was the king of Corinth and he was punished for his deceitfulness. And here was his punishment. They put a huge boulder at at the foot of a mountain and every day he had to roll the boulder up the mountain. And every day when he got it, however far he got it, it would roll back down. He'd wake up the next day and he had to roll it back up the mountain. And Paul's saying, that is your life if you try to patch up your righteousness. You are just like Sisyphus. Every day you wake up and when you get the boulder up the mountain, you're gonna kind of beat your chest in some pride. God, do you see how good I am? And every day when the boulder falls, you're gonna fall into despair knowing how very bad you are but you're gonna just alternate between pride over here and despair over there. And Paul's point is just, that's what it looks like to try to patch together your own righteousness, to try to solve the the issue of righteousness by what you do. He's saying it's futile, you cannot do it. Essentially, Paul gives his resume of righteousness to say, listen guys, I tried it. And if I couldn't do it with that record of righteousness, good luck for you trying it. Have a good shot at that. But it's futile, it's not going to work. Then Paul gives us the other way to deal with our righteousness. One way is is to achieve our righteousness by what we do. We patch up a righteousness of our own. And here's the other way, to receive our righteousness. To just open up our hands before God and by faith, allow him to place righteousness in our hands for us. This is what Paul's getting at in verse nine. You can either work to have a righteousness of your own. You can do that in the secular way or the religious way. Paul's saying, I did it in the religious way but by keeping the law. But here's the other option. You can also depend 
on Jesus. You can, you can have the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And here's Paul's point. Our righteousness was never meant to be achieved. Our righteousness is meant to be received from God. We open up our hands and in faith in Jesus, God puts it, all that, all that that we're longing for, he puts it in our hands for us. Our righteousness doesn't come from our doing. This is the wonder of the good news of Jesus. It doesn't come from our doing. Our righteousness comes from our dependence upon what Jesus has done. That's the wonder of the gospel. Think about the gospel this way for a moment. This is the good news of Jesus. God comes to us and says, can I make a deal with you? Here's the deal that I wanna make with you. If you will open up your hands and bring your nothing to me, here's what I'll do in return. I'll give you Jesus's righteousness. But first it starts here. Would you be so humble as to open up your hands? Could we make this deal? Would you allow me to take your, your sin from you? Would you allow me to do that? You know, like those parts of you that you wanna to take to the grave, you don't want anybody else to know? God's saying, I already know those. And would you be so humble as to open up your hands and to allow me to take those things? And then would you be so humble as to even open your, open your hands so far as to, to even give me your best deeds? Like the, like the deeds that you think are gonna actually like secure you something before me? Would you open up your hands all the way and to, to even allow those to fall through your hands? Would you do that? And then God says, if you'll be humble enough to do that, humble enough to bring your nothing to me, like letting go your, your resume of righteousness and come to me absolutely exposed like you really know that you are, Will you bring, if you would be humble enough to bring that inadequacy that you know exists in you, here's what I'll do. I will give you the perfect record of righteousness from Jesus. Jesus who lived in your place, I'll take all of your sin, I'll put that on Jesus's head. And what he accomplished for you, that perfect record of righteousness, like every time you mess up, he perfectly succeeded. I'll put that into your hands. I'll give you, if you'll open up your hands and stop trying to work for it, I'll give you that presentability that your soul so desperately longs for and wants, I'll give that to you. All of your sin, all of your shortcoming, that'll go to Jesus and his perfect record of righteousness will come to you. That's what God offers in the gospel. Jesus, his, his life, death, and resurrection credited to your account. This is what you see in verse nine. He says, this is what it means to be found in Jesus. Like when God looks at you and knows all of you, he loves you just like you were Jesus, just like you were perfect. That is the justification, the righteousness that Jesus offers. This is how the Bible, and this is how God deals with that deep inner angst and insecurity in us by saying, I will, I will give you all of that back, all that you lost in Genesis 3, I will give you that back in Jesus. The old hymn writer got this right. He said it this way. Nothing in my hands I bring. This is how we have to come to God. Like to be a Christian, this is how we come to God. Letting go of our resume of righteousness. Nothing in my hands I bring. 
God, I'm not bringing all these good things as if they're securing something from you, as if you're privileged to have me. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. All the righteousness I want is found in Jesus, his perfect righteousness. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked, exposed, inadequate, insecure. I come to thee for dress. I come to you, God, to make me presentable, to, to put dressing upon me. Helpless, God, this is what I am. I'm helpless. And I look to thee for grace. Foul, dirty, inadequate. God, I know this about me. I to the fountain, to your fountain of grace, God, I fly. Wash me, Savior, else I die. That's what God offers us a fountain to wash us so we don't have to die, but so that we can actually be righteous before God. Oh, okay, before God. In the end, there's only two ways, your works or Jesus's works. And to all us in the room who are depending on our works, God is saying, enough of that, stop doing that. It's never gonna work, it's futile. But to all in the room who are depending upon the work of Jesus, God the Father says, it is enough. It is enough. Like everything you need is right there in the person and Jesus. And may we as a church run after Jesus and grab that. Amen. Let's pray together. I'm gonna give you a moment to respond to the Lord and just begin to allow the Lord to work this into you. Maybe you could just begin to ask yourself the question, what are you looking to in your life to, to give you a sense of you're okay? To make you presentable before God? What, what are you looking to in your life for that? We're all looking to something. And it's either, here are the categories, it's either our works or Jesus's works. It's either an achieved righteousness or a received righteousness. See, becoming a Christian is the moment when we turn from all the sin that we know disqualifies us. And we turn from our resume of righteousness that we feel like qualifies us before God. Becoming a Christian means that, that we're turning from all of that. And then we throw our life in faith upon the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. And what it means to live as a Christian is every time we begin to rebuild our resume of righteousness, God, look at what I'm doing there. Look at what I'm doing here. We turn again from all the stuff that disqualifies us, all the things that we think qualify us, and we throw our life again and again and again upon the person and work of Jesus. So, oh God, would you now talk to us, speak to us? God, show us where we're building our resume. Show us where we're working for our righteousness, trying to achieve it. God, would you give us eyes to see and hearts to, to hear this today? Oh God, would you help us? God, would you help us be the people who are depending on the righteousness that comes from you by faith in Jesus? Monday morning, Tuesday night, Thursday at lunch, 
depending upon you for righteousness. Oh God, help us, help us. It's in your good name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.